Welcome to The Round Barn. I'm Dr. Ashley Mytek. And I'm Dr. Jim Lowe. And today we are going to be talking about R-Yes. No, it's R-Not, Ashley. R-Not. <laughs> I, I want somebody to tell me yes, not no. Yeah, you're a mom. You should understand no. But uh, this should be interesting. Let's go. All right. Let's learn about R-Not. very riveting faculty meeting a couple weeks ago and one of wait a minute I was in that faculty meeting it may not have been riveting <laughs> well with my Snickers bar in the afternoon it was the you know it was the, oh, okay. it was the entertainment yeah. of the afternoon you know yeah. how that goes and we were talking about the Delta variant and COVID and some smart colleague of mine mentioned are not and I was like they are not what oh uh, yes I then they started talking about how the R naught for the Delta variant is different than the R naught for the regular COVID variant, and then that changes uh, the spreadability or all these regulations that are happening. So, what is R naught? Well, I could make a joke, but I, I don't think I can come up with that. <laughs> so, R naught is literally R sub zero. So, a little zero is how we designate that. And so, when we think about are we're really talking about the reproductive ratio and so and not how many as, babies a virus can make that's exactly right and, and so it. in this case it's not really how many um how many new viruses does it make but how many new cases originate from one case okay and so if i have a reproductive ratio of two then for each one case i get two additional new cases Okay. And if I have a reproductive ratio of 10, then I get 10 new cases for each additional case. So it's a really important measure of telling us how fast is an infection. And this is a virus or bacteria, parasite, whatever. How fast that infection moves through a population. So if I have a R sub naught of 2, then if I get one case, the second, the next round, I have two cases. And the round after that, I have four cases, right? Because it keeps expanding. It's an exponential sure. function. And if I have one of 10, it goes from one to 10 to 100. So if you can think about how fast it spreads, it'd be the simple way to think about it. The R sub naught is how we kind of describe that in epidemiology. And you use that R naught number to determine, I think in this conversation, it was talking about whether we, are, we were going to get herd immunity um, at this point and how that the R naught of the Delta variant was higher than the regular COVID variant. And that was going to affect this whole concept of herd immunity. Yeah, so that's, that? yeah, that all gets a sticky wicket, right? And so, or multiple sticky wickets, quite frankly. What we, is a sticky wicket? Uh, it's some British term. We should talk to all of <laughs> it. It sounds to me like a stick that has honey on no, it. No, a wicket. And you, you like play. whack people with it? No, no, no. A wicket is when you play cricket. What? You hit the ball through the wicket. Where do you learn these things? Aldridge. It's all Brian Aldridge. So we'll have to have him on again just to talk He'll about. Teach us all the funny British saying, which I did. I did learn one the other day, which well, I had to actually email somebody because they put it on one of our anesthesia listers. They said the patient was a weedy fellow. And I thought, what is a weedy fellow? But he's thin. And yeah, it was it was a thin, a thin patient. Yeah. And I, I thought maybe it's like, you know, he has yeah, weeds we growing could, out. We of do him. a whole episode on strength. Okay, okay, okay. Back to okay, back, back to, to what to, we were talking about. So when we think herd immunity and R sub naught are kind of related but not. 
Okay. So we think about both of those. And so when we think about transmissibility of an infectious disease, in this case of ours, we think about that in a way of in two kinds of populations. And so when a virus can transmit between hosts, when the susceptible host comes in contact with an infected host, and that's kind of the base what we do. And so the R sub-naught is a, a way to describe, it's not a biological principle, it's a mathematical measure. Again, how many new cases result? Well, that has a lot to do with how frequent is the contact going on? Um, how many susceptible hosts are there in the population to be infected? Blah, blah, blah. So R sub naught is often calculated, at least for a lot of animal work, on a very much a, a experimental basis. So we put one animal in a pen that's infected with a bunch of animals that aren't infected, and you measure how, how long it takes the other animals to get infected, and you start to estimate how fast the virus transmits. And people, you know, like in this case, they're actually just measuring what's the rate of new cases, and they estimate contact. And so... To, Every epidemiologist is going to just think I'm crazy on this. It's an estimate. I mean, it's it's a sure. it's a put your thumb up in the air, and one is you know two is less than ten, and and they're exponential, and so you do this. So in, the idea of herd immunity is that it's really a measure of how many people in this case for COVID, but if it's pigs or 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 or, or cows or dogs or whatever. How many of those are immune or not susceptible to infection with whichever disease we're talking about? And so the idea of immunity or non-susceptibility is a really complicated thing because when we think about the immune system, it's a complicated bit. And we have two bits of the immune system, the non-specific part that we call the innate immunity. And that non-specific part deals with, you know, 99% and dang near 100% of all infections. So we are bombarded with infectious agents every day. And the innate immune system, that's what it does. That's its, that's its thing, right? It's just like, ah, we just keep that stuff at bay and, and we don't get you infected. When that system doesn't work and we get infection, then we have the adaptive immune system, which is the specific bit. So it's immunity against one specific bit of pathogen. So what we're talking about here is COVID. So when we think about vaccines, um, vaccines build the adaptive or second line of defense immune system. So it's why when we think about um, why if, if you're in a room with somebody that has COVID or has the flu, why does everybody not get sick, even if you had an equal amount of contact? Well, our, all of our innate immune systems are a little different all the time. And it's, they're impacted by stress, they're impacted by sleep, they're impacted by diet. Um, so we all need to sleep more. Yeah, it's sleep a big and deal, right? And so that's why, why do we see our students around here, right? And what happens when do they all get sick? So they had midterms yesterday and they look and the terrible before, right they now. They look terrible. So about Monday, they're all we're gonna find every respiratory disease in these kids. It's not because they got exposed, it's because they were tired and worn out. They're stressed, in, stressed and stressed and their <laughs> immune system doesn't work very well. So the stuff they got exposed to last Friday was no big deal. The stuff they got exposed to on Tuesday all of a sudden became a big deal. And so this innate thing is really um, uh, dynamic and it really determines if we get infected. I see. And if we clear that infection fairly quickly. 
So when that doesn't work, then we worry about the adaptive immune system. So normally when we see the adaptive immune system working, you're sick. You know, like it said, whoa, 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 we're failing, we're infected. The innate immune system is kicked into high gear and now it's calling in reserves. It's calling in that adaptive immune response. So when we think about herd immunity, we classically think about that as how many people have antibodies, which are a measure of the adaptive or the specific immune system. Okay. But it's more complicated than just how many people have antibodies. It's what happened to the population in terms of stress? What happened to the population in terms of sleep? What happened to the population um, in terms of vaccines? When we talk about vaccines not being 100%, right, that's a, a function of not only how well did the vaccine work and how well did the individual respond to the vaccine is the function of how well did their innate immune system work, which kind sure. of turns on the adaptive immune system. How does all that work together? And when we talk about the R0 factor, just to put maybe some numbers to it, do we have any rough ideas of what, can, do I call it regular COVID? Like what's regular COVID? It's yeah, the original lineage, the alpha lineage. Yeah. Alpha lineage. And then we, we see, and we're probably going to continue to see variants of COVID, right? And then they're all going to have different R nods. Yeah, theoretically. And I think the, the, the you can disagree with that. No, I mean, you I think mean, they're all going to have different I mean, ones? Yeah, theoretically. I mean, I struggle as a clinician. I struggle with R naught because we use that like it's some precise measure of what's going to happen. And we don't know. And the difference between a two and a three on an R naught is a big deal because it's exponential. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and it's dynamic. And, and, and so even if I knew it precisely today, I might not know it tomorrow and I might not know it for this population versus that population. So I like to lump things in buckets of saying, are they really easy transmission things or are they kind of hard? You know, they not transmit very well. And where does COVID compare to other infectious diseases you've worked with? Are there diseases, can you have an R naught? You can have an R naught that's less than one, right? Well, well, that's now we should, we should, I skipped that. We should talk about that. If the R naught's less than one, meaning that for every case I have, I get less than one new case. Mm -hmm. That means the epidemic or the transmission is going to stop because I'm getting less new infections from each case and it's going to die out. So when we have sustained transmission, whether it's endemic or epidemic, we're saying that r naught's above one. I get at least one new case for every infection that I have. Can you have a negative r naught? No, it bounded at zero. Like it makes people healthy? No, it doesn't. That's, that's my almond milk latte. If we have enough almond milk lattes, keep, we'll make you, more people yeah, healthy. Keep putting the nut juice in, 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 in the coffee. And, it's not nut juice. <laughs> it's but, milk. Um, that's the, so as we think about this, right? I think about do things transmit easily or not easily? And so does the Delta transmit more efficiently, and that's what we're really talking about, how efficient does it transmit. The Delta is clearly much more efficient than the uh, than the alpha lineage, the original lineage. And um, why? Well, it's, it's a little bit more host adapted. It's a little bit better at living. Now, what's interesting is it's probably a little bit better at living in the upper respiratory tract because we know that viruses that live farther north or shed externally higher. When you say farther north, you mean more of an closer upper? Closer to the nose. Yeah, nose. Close, okay. closer to the nose, right? Okay. And so we know that, uh, right, the virus causes a lot of severe disease when it causes a lot of infection in the lung. And so as it's gotten more host adapted, and we should 
maybe talk about viruses for one second. You know, viruses are chunks of genetic material that can't reproduce on their own. So I don't know how you define live, but you know, they can't make more of themselves without, a, without another cell. And so they have to infect, in this case, a human cell, and in this case, a human respiratory tract cell. And so to get into that cell, they have to have a receptor. And we've talked about this receptor, right? And that's why cats get it, and, you know, right? They have the same, but his, the virus gets, is it was originally right a bad virus most likely, and it's moved to humans. So the first versions of that weren't very good at sticking on the human receptor. Okay. And as you select more and you get more transmission, it, you just select for viruses that are a little bit better at sticking to the human receptor. And so instead of just sticking deep in the lung, now it's sticking deep in the lung and the upper respiratory tract. And so it just sheds more efficiently. And again, it's evolution. You're going to select for viruses that transmit to the next, next host better. And so this is all to be expected. So the, the virus kind of gets smart and figures out how do I be more successful in this inf world? Infectious <laughs> disease is Darwin on steroids. <laughs> and so it is evolution on steroids. And so that's what's happening. The virus evolves very, very rapidly, you okay. know, right? You know, in a matter of hours, it's making new copies of itself. And so every time it infects a new cell, it makes new copies. It has a chance to change. And those that infect human cells better are more likely to be successful because they infect more human cells. And is there a virus or some, so so bacteria can have an R-naught too? All infectious diseases have All an infectious yep. diseases have an R-naught. So are there diseases that have, so I've heard numbers thrown out as far as an R-naught for COVID in the different variants somewhere between, I don't know, nobody quote me on this, but I'm throwing them out like somewhere between two to 10 or something, depending upon the variant. My question is, are there diseases that are, have an R naught of 5,000? Like you just need one person to cough in a stadium and everybody gets it or no. something yeah. like that. Thank, thank goodness. No, we don't know of those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So a 10 R naught's really bad. I mean, that's, that's, oh, okay. I mean, that's really, really a high R naught. I mean, okay. that's a lot of new cases. And so, yeah, I think we're talking about differences. And again, don't call me on the numbers. The Delta variant is more efficient in transmitting, so it has a higher R naught. Okay. But it's not like it's 10x. It's just a okay. little bit. Okay. But remember, it's exponential. Okay. So, um, you know, those of us that work in in livestock disease, we tend to work with things that are you know four to six R naughts, and those are pretty interesting diseases because they can move through fixed populations in two or three days. So we might infect, you know, a thousand or more animals in three or four days. Okay. And even that's, a, you know, maybe six or seven or not. And so um, those are, those are really rapidly transmitting diseases and really naive populations. So I have a, it's absolutely free of a pathogen. I introduce a new pathogen like influenza and it just goes whoo, through the population very, very quickly. Humans have a lot more immunity than that, so they tend, particularly COVID, this thing isn't moving that that rapidly. And so I, I'm not downplaying the number of cases or anything else that's going on, the number of infections. That's another whole sidebar hot button issue with me. But in my world, a case is when something actually gets sick and an infection is different than a case because I can be infected but not diseased. Because by what you mean by that is that your body can see, for example, if somebody coughs on me with COVID and let's say I got a lot of sleep that night and I had my latte and my spinach right. thing or whatever. Yeah, your kale or whatever, whatever I, stuff I, you I would get. Yeah. kale. Then um, my 
immune system could fight that off, but I could still be infected. I'm, I'm just not in bed sick with it. Yeah, and disease means, right, I don't have a normal state. I'm disease. Okay. And so I can be infected, but not diseased. I'm not in bed. I'm not anything else. And those are the, what we were calling inapparent infections. I see. And so those are really important in disease transmission because if I'm really, really sick, right, I'm at home in bed. Am I infecting other people? Probably not because I'm at home in bed. So only my closest contacts would be infected. I see. Now, healthcare workers are at risk. Again, really right. close contact. Right. The general public isn't at risk because I'm hanging out in bed. Yeah. But if I'm inapparently infected and I feel normal, I'm not a case. I'm not sick. But I'm an infected person. I'm walking around. And so I think as we've looked at the epidemic, right, it's been really confusing because we were measuring and test positives and they were measuring hospitalizations. And yet it's impossible to measure actually the number of the people that are truly infected. But if, now, we did at the university, right? We tested everyone. But that was a bit of a contrived model because you've got a student population that doesn't reflect the general population. But without testing everyone, it's really hard to know what the infection rate is. And so that's why this thing has really been confusing. We haven't known how many people are infected. We haven't had very good estimates of how many people are infected. You heard these crazy numbers, right? Like, well, we think for every case, i.e. reported infection, there may be 10 others. They come back, so maybe it's three others. You know, we don't know. That's a big difference. Those are big differences, right? And and that's not, I, please, I'm not blaming anyone or saying it. That's just how infectious disease works. This is the messiness of dealing with infectious disease in populations. Well, I have another infectious disease question for the infectious disease expert. So you should go find one. <laughs> I'm looking at one. So I, um, you know, talk about herd. I have a small herd of children at my house. Yes. And when I drop them off at daycare or school, one of the things that, you know, they'll put little signs up on the daycare rooms. And I imagine it's like pig pens. When you go into pig pen, it's like going into daycare, right? And there's like all these oh, that's rooms. Exactly the ex that's exactly the example. They're like sorted by age and weight and all that kind of stuff. So when I dropped our infant off the other day at daycare, they had a little sign up that said, this room has had, you know, two positive RSV virus, respiratory, this respiratory virus in kids. Virus, yeah. yeah. And I happened to be talking to, I went to touch a truck and they had to like pry me off the helicopter, but yeah. then they actually let me go on the ambulance and I got to talk to the paramedic and I said, you know, what are you up to these days? And he said, well, we are picking up a lot of kids with RSV. Um, and I said, well, what do you mean by that? Is that new um, this time of year thing? And he said, no, it's because of COVID because all these kids that would have been exposed to it in daycare were home for a year. So my question is, is this kind of a thing that happens with outbreaks and viruses where you try to control one virus, you try to prevent a patient from getting it or a kid from getting it, and then you end up with a whole different problem or situation because of what you were trying to address that you thought was the most pressing infectious disease. I made an entire career out of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, not intentionally, unfortunately. Oh, uh, gosh. It wasn't a brilliant strategy. No, I mean, it's the, that's what happens, right? So we blocked transmission of not only COVID, but also RSV in little kids. So that's a really, really common infection. I think what we fail to recognize is, is that often recognize we just live in a soup of bacteria and viruses. And our immune systems are just amazing because they, deal with that stuff every day and they, they get over it and 
you know, right? Have you got respiratory syncytial virus? No, but I guarantee you've taken a bath in it the last week. <laughs> Not intentionally, but you've got little guys, and the little guys have been in that. That's probably on my shoulder, it, my spit-up shoulder. That's exactly <laughs> right, right? And so you um, you get exposed to this, but you've seen it before. Your immune system deals with it. So normally what would happen with little kids is, right, they go to daycare and school at a fixed rate. There's X born this year. They generally go at this right age, X age they go. Well, then we took a year off. So now we've doubled the population of susceptibles. Mm -hmm. And so is it worse than before? No, it's the same as before. It's just I've got twice as many because I didn't do any last year. Right. And so it'll be an interesting influenza season, right? Because we didn't have any flu last year because everybody stayed home. And so how much are we going to have? We've all not seen it for a year. These things are all interesting. And this happens, you know, I, you know, two pigs and, and we try to eradicate one disease because it's economically important or it's bad for the pigs or whatever. And you eradicate one. And in the process of eradicating it, you stop the transmission of all these normal endemic diseases that aren't diseases, these normal endemic viruses or bacteria. And then when you say, okay, we've gotten rid of the disease, think about staying home. So right. we tell people to stay home. That's my, it's my go-to plan on pigs. Okay, we're just not going to put them in the, we're just going to stop mixing them together. We're not going to let them have contact and it makes the disease go away. But you also stop the normal transmission of things. And then when you put them back together, ah, we get a disease outbreak. So yeah, I think, I don't know that the flu season is going to be bad, but you certainly look at it and say it might be interesting. Yeah. Little kids with RSV, all those things, we just, we alter this normal transmission rate. And I, I probably have been um skeptical cynical you can pick your favorite word for me on this whole covid yes suspect suspect yeah i'm always suspect but on the whole covid deal management and everything else i think maybe i've just gotten my teeth kicked in over over the last 25 years too many times trying to manage disease that every time we think we can really do something to intervene um we kind of get uh humbled uh and humbled fairly uh, aggressively. We can make things work in the short term, but they're not really successful long term. And so as I look at where we've had success over the years with infectious disease, it's two tools. It's either they got vaccinated and the vaccine worked, which we're really lucky. That's what happens with COVID. Right. Or they all got infected and they got natural immunity. And so um, at some point, we just have to get to a balance, it seems to be, in every population. And you want to do that in a way that minimizes the negative impacts. Um, and I think we often set our own expectations that we can, we're very technologically advanced, right? We can measure things. We can do all these cool tests. We can do these fancy math models. But boy, Mother Nature's a son of a buck to control. And every time we think we can wrangle Mother Nature we lose. We um, lose we, we, every time. Yeah, we lose. We lose real hard, right? Yeah. I think, you know, if I as I've looked at this whole COVID process, I, I think it's uh, we've had a little too much confidence in our own ability once in a while, and unfortunately, things uh, play out the way they play out. And thank goodness we have a vaccine that clearly. I mean, I'll be very upfront. I called that one wrong. I didn't think we'd have a vaccine that would work. Uh, coronavirus vaccines have historically not been very successful, and so. Uh, this one clearly, both all these that are available are clearly fantastic, and and so uh, beyond my wildest dreams. And so we're lucky. I mean, the tool that works, we know works. We've got, and so we can can we get our heads around this thing? Certainly, but um, 
a lot of the other stuff that it is what it is and and we can't always change the shape of mother nature that's, and much of our desire that's right so i guess the moral of the story is get vaccinated try to stay healthy drink your tea get your sleep and and and, and don't um I think your RSV story is a good lesson of don't mix yourself. Stay the, home when you're sick. St- st- yeah, not, and not just when you're sick, but just, um, you know, I, I'm still not sure that, uh, and we've not learned something, maybe going to a crowd inside with uh, 500 people. It's not the best thing to do. Yeah, it's not right. It's the mixing thing, right? That's a big deal because uh, it, it's it's certainly true in my day-to-day day job on the, on the animal side, but I think we've proven it here too. And so there's some things that aren't very comfortable, but... Um, it, uh, it all works yeah this in some way or form I think there's definitely been some some good lessons learned thanks for joining us we hope you enjoyed listening and we'd love to hear from you too find us on Twitter our handle is at the round barn one we may even share your comments on our next show please subscribe and tell your friends about the show it's available on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice One last thing, we also offer a wide range of learning opportunities for folks who work with livestock and veterinarians too. You can learn more at online.vetmed.illinois.edu. See you soon.